Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Hey, Ben, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate the time. Um, So for everyone listening, this is Ben Zettler. He's uh, an e-commerce consultant, uh, part of (laughs) Ben Zettler Digital Media. So I I wonder who founded that. Um, Ben has had an expansive career in the world of e-commerce from, you know, being the director of e-com to to leading the social media strategy for a number of organizations. And you've worked with a lot of really cool companies, you know, but before we dive into the content of our conversation today, Ben, you're a busy guy. I, I imagine caffeine has to play some role in your life. You know, as fate would have it, I have not had a cup of coffee in my life. (laughs) Um, I am a tea drinker, but, um, you know, aside from that, my wife has been trying to get me on the coffee grind and it just um, is not something that I don't think is happening anytime soon. Man, well, yeah. Like, if you uh, if you haven't started drinking it, there's really no reason to start at this point. But uh, yeah. I imagine there's got to be a little bit of caffeine in that tea, maybe. But uh, really oh, of cool. Of course, yeah. We we all have our vices, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, you know, Ben, I guess let's just dive into it. One thing I really wanted to to get your thoughts on. So, when you were working at Steiner Sports, right? It looks like while you were working there, you started your own, you know, consulting organization. So you had a great career going, and and still do to this day, but. What was it that made you decide to focus more on consulting independently? Well, I think it's a couple things. So even prior to my time at Steiner Sports, I was already in the middle of this process of ultimately building what has become my business today. Um, It actually started as a a business, an e-commerce company that I created myself eight years ago, a company called Brooktide Sunglasses, which um, at the time was store number 41,000 or so on the Shopify platform. So not the earliest of adopters, but given that there's now nearly 2 million merchants on the platform, very much before Shopify's rapid growth phase. So, you know, very fortunately in a way, I always like to say that, you know, I was very lucky to kind of, you know, hitch my wagon to Shopify, so to speak. Um, I've really seen how the platform has matured over the years, how it's grown, um, how the ecosystem of service providers has also grown. Um, and so very quickly after starting that business, I started to work first with, you know, friend of a friend that needed help with web, a website, friend of a friend that needed help with some email marketing, social content. And then it matured into really taking on what I would call real clients, you know, people that I didn't know that maybe, maybe have come through a referral or something like that. And then that sort of set me on the path to the Shopify partner program and then the Shopify experts program. And then um, even up until last year being named a Shopify plus consulting partner. So it's just something really that, that kind of grew over time. And I've been very, very fortunate, um, you know, especially with everything that's gone on in the last year with how the business has grown. And, and I think to also go back to your question too, just about why I, I've kind of gone this path versus sticking where I was at. I think I was in some ways always destined for something like this. Um, my father's an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. His father owned his own business. So it was uh, just kind of inevitable, I think. No, absolutely. So was there anything in particular that you, you know, were hungry to do more of on your own? 
I really enjoyed the process at first. And this is where kind of my consulting work started. I really enjoyed the process of helping folks to build their websites. That was really the first service offering that I carved out. Um, and then as I got more proficient in what I was doing at Steiner Sports, because at Steiner, I started just as a social media manager. And at the time, I was actually the company's first full-time hire dedicated to anything social and digital. Um, but that's really where the concentration was. And so as my work there also matured, that also kind of opened me up to what else I could start to offer clients. So not just building websites, but then, well, you know what? I really enjoy running social strategy. Let me offer that as a service. I really enjoy running email marketing. Let me offer that as a service. And so it's something that's grown over time. Right. So, you know, obviously you, you I believe you played baseball in college and you, you have a, a love for sports. You worked at Steiner. I, I have sports. to correct you. I didn't play in college. I played in high school. I, I worked for the University of Maryland baseball team as an undergrad and then after I graduated, but uh, did not uh, I did not have the, the talent to uh, take the field on the collegiate level. That's got <laughs> got it. My, no, my mistake. But thank you for keeping me honest. That's OK. With that. um, but, you know, so you have, you have a lot of experience working with athletes. You've worked, worked with Bleacher Report. You've worked with individual athletes. And I'm curious, what are some of the unique challenges that they face in managing their brands online? Well, it's very unique. It's a lot different than your more traditional e-commerce brand. Um, certainly, um, even if you're talking about the nitty gritty management of content, you have to think about, well, most athletes, as most folks listening to this probably know, they're not all the ones you know, responding to comments and posting content up on their pages. So you have to be considerate of something as simple as a player's schedule. Um, you know, when he's playing a game, you can't be posting on their behalf because it's content coming from their perspective. And it's just, you got to, you just have to think about that. And I think in general, you have to be sensitive to all of the communications that, that go out on any of an athlete's digital channels. Um, and also, it's, it's always a more unique experience. I think in some ways, um, not that anything is ever plug and play, but there's sort of a, more of a clear path that you may follow in working with an e-commerce brand in terms of optimizing email marketing and optimizing social strategy and optimizing their website. But with an athlete, everybody's got different initiatives. Everybody's got, um, you know, this one's got a charity and we're trying to put, push more of, of that angle in terms of what they're doing off the field. Another wants to just share more content that they like. Another wants to interact more with fans. So it, it's really all about catering to the individual interests of the folks that you're working with. Okay. No, and that makes total sense. So, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, social selling, right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people are increasingly buying on, you know, Instagram ads, Facebook ads, you know, there've, there's been this shift from just the social scrolling experience and sort of accidentally discovery shopping. Um, and it's become more of a purposeful window shopping like experience on these platforms. You know, well, first and foremost, would you say that that's a, a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, I would say so. And especially when we consider all the changes that are happening right now as we speak with regard to user data and data tracking and the changes to iOS 14.5 and how brands have to think about what types of advertising they're serving and at what point in the user journey. Um, yeah, it's definitely changed. I mean, everything is still in that sort of direct response type of mode. But I think as these platforms mature, a little bit further in terms of how they integrate e-commerce into the experience, then, then it's going to become 
like you said, more window shopping, more of a destination for users to go on Instagram and browse through what products their favorite brands are offering, but not necessarily engage specifically with that brand. And that that's obviously a process that, that's been in play for about a year now, um, but is still, I think, not necessarily as common for the individual user in terms of like their actual purchase process. So you know, it's a, it's a work in progress for sure. No, absolutely. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, Mm -hmm. what are some of the behavioral shifts we can expect from consumers based on like the Facebook buy button, Instagram checkout and other shoppable social content where users don't even have to leave their feeds. Yeah. we're going to start to see that to be more, more and more common um, as users start to adopt that whole process. And as they just simply start to onboard. So as they start to load in their information, as they start to add a credit card to their Instagram account and get more accustomed to completing a purchase within platform, um, then we're going to start to see that more and more. I mean, like Facebook and Instagram, for example, they give you the tools to push that type of messaging and that type of content out further. Um, but even, even Facebook and Instagram as a platform seem to still be in very much an experimental phase in terms of how brands can take advantage of that from an advertising perspective, you know, the way that they give uh, advertising cost breaks and are still splitting out between um, certain placement destinations, like they give you the option within the editor, like if you want users to check out on Facebook shop, we'll divert up to 10% of the traffic and you know, won't be charged for X, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it, it's still early, um, but I think if things go the direction that, um, that these platforms want them to, then ultimately it could potentially be a windfall for a lot of brands to keep people in platform, but ultimately drive the sale, which is the important piece. And, and so with social selling becoming you know, much more common, do you believe that companies should still be investing and continue investing in email marketing the same way as before? Or do you think strategies there should be adjusted? Uh, yes, yes, they should. Um, I, I will, I, I feel very strongly about this actually, that email marketing and, and text marketing, which I kind of put hand in hand with email at this point, um, are so very much a part of a, a foundational e-commerce strategy that brands need to have regardless of what's happening out there for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is sort of the legacy type of medium. It's the thing that um, users are accustomed to actually using. Um, and that, but that's just one piece. I mean, ultimately, that is your owned marketing channel. So even as users start to grow more accustomed to you know, using Instagram checkout or checking out even on an, I'll keep referencing that as an example, but really checking out on any platform that will implement, you know, a direct checkout system. Um, you know, that's still not information that you are solely kind of owning. And as those platforms mature a little bit more, then uh, brands are going to get further and further away from that data. Like in the same way that, you, know, you can sell on Amazon as a channel, but you don't get that user's email address. You don't get their opt-in. You don't really have a, a way to, to reach that user. I could see that happening. Um, so it is important um, to, to keep in mind how crucial email and text marketing are to any e-commerce strategy. Again, because it's your own marketing channel. That is your list. That is your users opting into your content. And and there, I think is going to continue to be like your most highly engaged users, the people that want to come to your site, the people that want to interact with your content, they're going to be buying from you directly, opting in for your marketing. 
Um, and that's going to be your most effective way of reaching people. I, and I don't see that, that changing. I mean, you know, open rates, click rates, delivery, you know, things that email inboxes are putting in place like that certainly changes stuff. But again, like email text kind of go hand in hand. Um, and for every single client that I work with, regardless of industry, regardless of what their AOV is, regardless of um, what they sell or anything, uh, I always, always, always see email and text. That, that is the number one channel, the number one revenue driver for them. So in terms of some of the changes that Apple's made with the recent iOS 14 update, um, you know, obviously that's another example uh, you know, of a big brand having an impact on e-commerce, right? Apple as, as a company overall. So with these new updates, what are some of the impacts it's going to have on e-commerce marketing? And, you know, is that going to have any impact on channels like email and text? Well, there's some things that are already taking place already. Um, and it's uh, for, for the clients that I work with, um, it's been kind of hit or miss at this point. There have been some that seem to have been pretty strongly affected by the changes having gone in place already and others where you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, I think, of course, to some degree, everybody's been effective because, or affected because you don't know what data you're not tracking. Um, but some, it, it's been clear that it's more drastic than others in terms of actual performance. Um, you know, the biggest loss and, and you know, the, the, I don't know if, uh, additional data has come out with maybe within the past week or 10 days. But you know, after the first week, Forbes put something out that said that uh, 4% of users with iOS 14.5 had been opting in to uh, cookie tracking. And that's really bad um, from an advertising perspective. I mean, we can have a whole another conversation about like user privacy and, and, and things like that. But in the context of e-commerce and data and how that relates to advertising you may run and the effectiveness of that advertising, 4% is terrible. Um, but not everybody has 14.5 yet. And so, you know, some users are still opting in. That number will rise a little bit over time. But, but even so, um, you don't know necessarily now, okay, user sees an ad, they click through, they go to the website. If they've opted out of cookie tracking, Facebook has implemented a few different ways via the API to um, more effectively measure what that user is doing anyway. But how effective has that been? We're in very much a state of flux as we have this conversation in May of, of 2021, depending on when people are, are listening to this. Um, and so something to really keep in mind to go back to what I was saying before about email and text now more than ever, it's, you know, really think about for any brand, think about what you're doing to get a user interested enough in what you're selling to get them to opt in to email and text marketing or any owned marketing channel. Um, that's not to say that advertising is ineffective. That's not to say that advertising won't continue to be effective moving forward because I've got me personally, I've got clients that are, are doing just fine and, and we're kind of dealing with the issues that are, are coming our way. But, um, you know, that, that, that should still be a piece of any strategy, but it really just drives home the point that you're kind of um, beholden to the changes that these platforms make, what, you know, whatever the changes are over time. So in the same way that, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, when it was easy to grow tens of thousands of page followers on a Facebook page, and the same could be said for an Instagram. Um, and, you know, everybody was seeing your content and there was no algorithmic feed and life was great for brands. And then that changed. And then how do you reach people? Well, you got to run advertising. And so there's always going to be these changes that happen to third party systems that brands rely on in order to reach customers. So 
you know, the better you can build those stronger relationships with people that you can um, uh, more comfortably assume that you're reaching directly, then the better off a brand's going to be. Right. And, and you know, I'm sure that your consulting work, especially in the area you know, of Shopify, has really touched every possible area of an organization's digital or e-commerce strategy. You know, but is it fair to say, right, it's, isn't it ultimately like the product page that converts given the fact that it's, you know, the information the seller is, is putting on the page about the product from, you know, you got the high-res 3D images to the benefits and the bullets um, and any added materials like care guides, right? Um, usually these are personalized in a big way to each product and the brand. Now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What would you say are some of the most important optimizations for these product pages, um, especially on Shopify-powered e-commerce sites? So it's a great question. It's really going to depend on each brand um, on a number of different factors, um, you know, because merchants at, at all different levels are um, going to have different priorities with what types of content they have. So that's a big factor. Like what content do you have that you can showcase visual content, imagery, video, like what can actually go on that page that's going to be relevant to the, to the buyer and to the purchase experience. Um, and then what, what written content is going to be relevant to the product itself and is going to help to inform a user to make a purchase. Um, you know, when you take those things into account, that could mean, you know, you're just filling in some detailed product description information, uploading things into a default media gallery, and then you're set. You're good. Great. Um, you know, for others, it's a little different where even within the confines of a Shopify theme, you can uh, build more of a landing page experience. So use a sections enabled page or, or a sections enabled product page, I should say, where you can build out some more dynamic content that's on that product page. So you can showcase, you know, a full width video, you can showcase an image that, that is displayed next to uh, some text content. Um, and then other brands may have a totally different need where, you know, it's something that's going to be custom developed, but that is going to showcase the content that they want to display in a, in a certain, maybe, maybe more elegant way we can call it. Um, but, you know, all different types of brands at all different types of levels can win from that perspective, whether they are you know, whether they're, you're, they have a custom built site, whether they're using a default Shopify theme, um, the content itself is really the most important piece. And that's something that I think brands need to think about a lot. Um, and I see this all the time, especially being in, in Shopify's experts marketplace, where it's, it's, a, it's a lead generation engine ultimately for us to get matched with merchants that need assistance with, with various tasks. Um, and I'll get a lot of folks that are like drop shippers, for example. So they're pulling generic content from a listing through a drop shipping system that doesn't really have any branding element to it. So like the why of why somebody should buy this random thing from you versus buying it from an Amazon or from somewhere else or for, from, you know, just some other company. And um, that's something that, that, brands, especially folks that are like maybe starting their own Shopify business, like you have to be very careful or, or, or um, cognizant of how you're presenting your brand. Even if you are a drop shipper that is just starting a, a Shopify business and you want to get something going and you want to try to showcase some products, um, you know, make sure that you're really diving into the details on product pages to incentivize somebody to make a purchase. Yeah. So I'd be curious. I know on your website, it says you've worked with, uh, I think, over or, you know, around 200 companies. 
you know, do you know off the top of your head roughly how many of them came to you for help with Shopify? I'd say 99% of the folks that I work with are on Shopify. So then um, very rarely are they not for sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Or, wow, or if they cool. are, they're, they're coming over from another platform that I'm helping them replatform. Got it. Okay. So then I'd be curious, you know, what were some of the most common missed opportunities or, or mistakes that you saw them making before they came in and got your help? Um, if we talk, talk about like the sort of basic perspective, like basic, um, uh, shouldn't use the word basic, but you know, we'll say the, the complete startup where they don't have a history of sales, where they really are just like a one man or one woman show where they're just trying to start something and whether or not they're drop shipping or they're, they've created their own product, but they're really just trying to get off the ground. You know, from that perspective, um, there's always a number of different things I see folks that are, that they're not doing. Um, you know, the, the navigation on their site, making sure that menus are named clearly according to the products that you sell and you're making it easy for folks to ultimately get to that product page and you're not making them jump through too many hoops or you're not distracting things with too many information related pages and not enough uh, you know, information about the products. Um, and then I think also on a, on a higher level, even with brands that are doing seven and eight figures a year online, you'd be surprised how many don't have a, uh, a very specific email strategy, or they're not really running effective advertising, or um, they're not doing any sort of conversion rate optimization on their website to assess, okay, we have 50,000 uh, site visitors per month. Um, let's use the power of that to assess whether or not um, the menu formatted this way or that way is better, or the product page format formatted this way or that way is better, or uh, products listing and listed in this order or that order is better. Um, so I think what happens a lot, and part of the reason why a lot of folks choose to work with me who, who become clients of mine is that I've had the experience on the other side of the coin. So you know, I started my own business, great. I worked at a company like Steiner Sports. Great. So I've been on the, I had the merchant side experience of trying to build an email marketing program and trying to optimize a Shopify website, just again, from a different perspective, um, not just from the agency or service provider perspective. So I understand the struggle of when I see a a very limited e-commerce team, maybe it's one person, maybe it's two people, even for a larger company that um, they're wearing too many hats and they aren't really sure what to do and they don't have very much experience doing it. So a lot of things end up falling by the wayside. Um, so, and that's ultimately not to give myself too much of a plug, but that's ultimately what I help brands do is really um, creating a more cohesive strategy in terms of what they're doing with their, their website itself. And then uh, you know, third-party marketing that they'll be doing. Okay. No, and, and that absolutely makes sense. So, you know, consumer expectations as a whole, right, have been changing a lot in the last 10 years. But I mean, in the past year, they've changed, I forget what the exact stat is, isn't 10 years worth of, of growth in the world of e-commerce in the span of six months, the first six months of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, be curious, you know, I find the growing preference to buy directly from brands pretty interesting. And it looks like a lot of your, com of your, uh, your clients have taken advantage of that opportunity by setting up their own e-commerce sites. So I'm curious to know, do you see that trend continuing and, and how do you advise your clients um, that want to have their own e-commerce site, but still engage in some of these marketplaces? 
Well, it's a balance. I mean, the thing that I, I like to think about is that there's just so many people in the world. Like if you, if you really sit and think about it, there are so just in this country, there are millions upon millions of people that shop on an Amazon or that shop on, you know, X, you know, insert store here. Right. And if you think about the percentage of the people that are in this country that are theoretically customers of yours, it's a very, very, very small percentage. So a lot of times um, what I've seen is that merchants will overthink the idea that they're maybe oversaturating the market or that they're, you know, going to cannibalize um, opportunities between their website and, and namely, you know, mainly Amazon, but, but, you know, eBay and Walmart and things like that. Um, and I, I just, it just doesn't necessarily happen that way. Um, you know, the, the thing that I, I'd like to use this as an example, going back to my Steiner sports days, um, you know, Steiner sports ultimately was the largest autograph sports memorabilia company of its kind in the world. Um, the, the reason why I ended up taking my consulting work full time two years ago, I'd been waiting for about a year to do it, but, um, I had been told, you know, we were getting, we were getting bought out and they, they told me to get your severance, be on your way. And so I stuck around for a little while and that's how it worked out, which was great. Um, but, but even thinking back to my days at, at Steiner, you know, we, we grew a very close association with the New York Yankees um, given the, the deal that we had to, um, uh, to help to disassemble the original Yankee stadium in 2008 and sell off the assets from that. And so we grew this reputation of uh, being a Yankee company, which we really weren't. I mean, we worked with all major sports leagues, all major teams, all major players across all sports and all teams over the last 40 years. But, and this, I promise there's a point to this, you know, thinking about the, the example of, you know, there are millions of Yankee fans in the world. And as much of a, an awareness that you know, Steiner Sports had for, um, you know, being in the New York market and Yankee fans that buy from us, like there's still millions that don't <laughs> still millions that have never heard of Steiner sports before. And that's just, you just sit and think about the numbers of it. Um, that's why to go back to your question, you know, I wouldn't hesitate too much. Like if a brand is at the point where they've grown to a certain level and it makes sense for them to really branch out into being present on marketplaces and they have the internal resources, that's another piece too. They have the internal resources to manage the process of being in those marketplaces, then by all means do it. Um, you know, and there's different ways to, to sort of work around that cannibalization that I mentioned. Like if on an Amazon, you're only offering uh, specific types of products that you, that you sell or specific sizes or specific packages, or, or you just have your whole catalog on there and you're casting your net a little bit more widely um, and effectively using Amazon almost as a lead generation tool, because the people that you can turn into brand evangelists ultimately are the ones that do come to your website and that do want to buy from you direct. And I think it's a, it's, it's a user experience question. You know, you know, why, why would a, a, a individual user want to buy from a brand directly when they could just as easily go on an Amazon or something like that? You know, sometimes it's a user experience thing. Sometimes it's a price thing. Sometimes it's not. Um, 
And depending on the, the stage of the business, I mean, if it's a growing business, you always have the easy story of, well, we're a small business, we're growing, like help us by paying us directly versus, you know, going, going to Amazon where they take a massive cut of our sales. Um, but even for larger businesses, you know, the, the folks that are most highly engaged um, are, are, are buying direct for sure. So for the brands that are just focusing on selling, you know, direct to consumer, do you feel, and I realize this is a bit of a general question, but at least in your experience, do you feel like these organizations are branding enough, right? Like we've seen a real big push in the market and especially in recent years for big recognizable brand personalities, right? Do you have any thoughts on that? What do you mean exactly? Like uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, just like the outward communications uh, of a brand, like, you know, if they're being witty on Twitter or like, what do you mean? Well, in terms of, you know, the, the organizations that really try to develop that close relationship with their ideal consumer, right there, mm-hmm. you know, it's whether it be the, the types of lifestyle images that they put on their website, the, the wording that they put out in their advertisements um, versus just kind of being an organization that sells a product. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard, I think, to succeed if you're just selling like a product, especially where it's something that like other, you know, other folks sell, like that goes back to the drop shipping thing that I mentioned before. Um, and this is for everybody out there. Like when I get the, the emails and questions about, Hey, I, I just started this website last week and I have 10,000 products that I list through, you know, XYZ uh, drop shipping platform. And I have zero sales and I'm getting, I'm getting a ton of, of traffic. You know, I'm getting a hundred people to my site and I'm getting no sales. Why isn't anyone buying? Well, I have never seen a drop shipping business like that have success ever. Um, so for everybody out there that thinks you can, you know, there's all those examples that you see of folks that do the YouTube videos and here's how you do it. And here's how I don't touch anything. And I just let advertising run um, on my drop shipping business. And I'm just sitting back and making money does not work. Uh, certainly not like that. And, and, and so much of that never takes into account like the actual cost. So even if you're generating sales from a model like that, you know, you're making such small margins. That's really not even worth your time to actually go through that whole process. Um, so yeah, branding is, uh, is really the key. I mean, even for the drop shipping businesses, the only way that you're going to sell something and granted I have a biased eye, but even folks that don't do what I do can go to a website and you know, they'll say, Oh, they, they're just you know, drop shipping from China or from wherever. Um, Branding is everything. Uh, you know the the words you write, the the imagery you you have, the videos you shoot, the content that's there. Um, even if it's not always as tangible as, uh, well, this is there, and then they buy that, and then this is what the numbers were. Uh, it is so much a part of a, a brand's um, a brand giving their users a certain experience on their website. Um, and that also, now that I'm you know, talking about and kind of going down this road, like there's things that brands should consider, I think, more often that they don't. Um, and, and it's going to be more helpful for folks at scale. So not really when you're first starting out necessarily, but for folks at scale um, to run uh, like Google Optimize, you know, even if you're not using like a paid tool, but running a tool where you can split test content so you can really assess you know, if you want to have you know, a very simple product page with not too much information, you just want to give people the opportunity to buy and then test that with the, the video content and all the, like the, the sections enabled landing pages, like what we talked about before, 
to see what leads to higher conversion rates. I mean, I'll, I could tell you what's going to convert better, but, um, but brands don't do split testing content and user testing and things like that enough. Um, and they should be doing more of that. So because you have users coming to your site, like take advantage of that, that data, that information of that, you know, that's an opportunity for you to learn a little bit about user preferences um, and, you, and they should definitely do it. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about data, about, you know, metrics that an organization should be tracking and, you know, these brands that are focusing on D2C, you know, sometimes they feel inundated with data, right? They, because they own their channels, they have access to all the numbers they want about their sales, about their ad performance and more. But sometimes they get lost in this excess of data, right? And they miss out on the most important KPIs. So, you know, ultimately, what would you say are the most fundamental KPIs that brands selling on their own e-commerce websites should and need to be tracking? That's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of times conversion rate, there's too much of an emphasis put on there. Because um, what does conversion rate ultimately mean? I mean, I've had some... Um, uh, I've had some brands come to me and say like, well, our conversion rate's only 12%. It's terrible. How do we get more people to, ha- you know, to buy from us? And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, 12% is higher than I've ever seen ever. Um, so you should just be thankful and praying to the gods that, you know, it stays that way. Um, but there's so much more of a story behind like a, a metric like conversion rate than is worth really putting too much emphasis on when you're trying to grow the business. Because if you're not if you're not present in enough channels or in enough areas, your conversion rate will be high. Because if you're only getting that high intent traffic, if it's only your you know brand evangelists, the people that are super engaged with what you're doing, yeah, they're going to buy from you more often than the person that is just discovering you from a Facebook ad and then is bouncing once they land on the first page that they're on. Um, so I don't necessarily look at that too much. Um, you know, I, I like to see, I, again, I'm trying to think of this in the context of like, it's very different, the types of metrics that you'll look at for a brand that's first starting out versus a brand that is more mature. And there's just different things you would do to optimize that. But, you know, on the more mature end of, you know, what's your average order value? Are you upselling users? Is there a way that you can increase that average order value over time? And how has that changed over time? Um, relative to you know, what people are buying and when you're sending out advertising and when you're sending out email marketing. Um, I, I try to keep it as simple as possible in a way. And, and I, I'm sorry if this is almost a non-answer, but how much money are you making? And how much money did you make last month compared to this month? How much money did you make last year compared to this year? Um, how has that changed relative to the traffic that you had? So that's where con, you know conversion rate comes in. But um, but how has performance changed over time relative to the different things that you've been doing from a marketing perspective? Um, you know, and there's no easy answers. Um, to, to answer your question, there's no easy answers. Uh, Fair enough. You know, <laughs> especially for brands that are first starting out too. Like, yeah, don't get so hung up on the, the example I used before. Like somebody will, I'll get inquiries from folks. Like I've got a thousand people on my site. You know, I ran a Facebook ad and I, I got, I got one person added to cart and nobody bought. So my conversion rate is zero. How can I get a higher conversion rate? Like that's not really the question to ask. The question is kind of what you've been alluding to before of what's the user's experience on the site. And then what is that ultimately leading to? And that's the way to kind of frame the questions um, as users are growing. Then on the other side of things, going back to what I mentioned before about growing your own marketing channel, 
um, that's where I will look at um, what is the the conversion rate or the sign up rate of you know you serve a pop up five seconds after somebody gets to the site if they haven't purchased from you before or if they're not in your email list already. How many of those users are signing up? Is it five percent? Is it eight percent? Is it ten percent? Is it one percent? Um, are you presenting them with the type of offer that may be relevant to them? I usually like to see that as a really good indicator of, of relevancy, of whether or not the, the users that are actually clicking on ads and coming to the site um, are, are actually legitimately interested or not. Because like one thing I'll say, you know, when someone reaches out to me about wanting me to, to run their advertising, for example, um, Honestly, I turn away more folks than I will want to actually work with just from a fit perspective, because, you know, people need to understand, like you could send a thousand people to your website from advertising, for example, and like maybe you spent, uh, I don't know, $10 on that traffic for the sake of the example, you know, 500 are going to bounce right away, most likely, you know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. All right. So 500 are left. And let's say 250 make it to a collection page. And let's say of that 250, 100 make it to a product page. And of the 100 that make it to a product page, uh, maybe 10 buy. And then, or sorry, maybe 10 add to cart. And then of the 10 that add to cart, maybe one or two buy. Um, if, that, if that traffic has any intent at all. So you go from a thousand to maybe one sale. And so what's that one sale? Are you, are you selling t-shirts for 20 bucks? You spend $10 to get there. You're not making any money. Um, you know, are you selling something like a necklace for 60? You spent $10 to get there. That's really, really good. Um, but then there's 499 other opportunities. We'll call it. We'll, we'll forget the people that have bounced, but 499 other opportunities for you to get users to opt into your marketing list so that the next time they hear from you is not from random chance from social ad buying or from Google ads, you can reach them directly via an email or via text or via another medium. Um, so that's super, super important because at the end of the day, when you're first prospecting these new folks that, you know, whether or not they have a high level of interest remains to be seen, but they're not likely to buy from you the first time that they see a Facebook ad and they've never heard from you before and they don't really know what it is that you sell. So completely cold traffic, you want to get them into that, that, that process so that you can, run a welcome flow and you can have them learn a little bit more about what you do and you can present them with an offer to make that first purchase. So um, I'm looking, I know your question was about numbers. That's, that's, those are numbers that I'm looking at, you know, how many people are signing up relative to the number of people that are coming to the site of those users. What are those users interacting with? What are their open rates on emails? What are their click rates on emails? Um, how is that performing over time? Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, I try to look at. Um, moral of the story is at the end of the day, there's a thousand different ways that you could potentially look at this stuff. Um, and there's a lot of noise ultimately to sort through. And that's what I try to, to do with my clients. No, fair enough. I mean, to your point, we hear, we always hear a lot about conversion rates, but I mean, even you just painted the picture, there's a lot more things that you need to look at. And I guess that's part of the benefit of, of coming to you and, and having someone help and having you help them with their, their website and their advertising strategy. You know, 100%. we're, we're coming close to time and I, I really want to leave you with, with one final question. So sure. for our, for our listeners that are, you know, maybe having to convince their leadership of the need to, you know, 
relook at their strategy in these areas. What are some of the recommendations that you make to them in order to get the buy-in of their leadership? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of situations that I'll get into where a, um, a merchant is doing relatively well and sales are, are good, you know, compared to what they were previously. So things are growing, but, you know, maybe they're not, maybe they're not doing email marketing. Maybe they're doing email marketing, but they only think they're doing email marketing. They're running a, a welcome flow with a single email and they're running abandoned cart emails out of Shopify instead of a Clavio. And they're, you know, they're doing some things, but they're not doing what they can be doing. You know, Ultimately, when it comes to selling in uh, higher levels of management on whether it's working with somebody like myself, whether it's making a new hire, whether it's hiring a, you know, another agency or, or, or any other service provider in some way, um, you, you, of course, are going to ask the question about, okay, well, if we do this, you know, how much more money are we going to make? Well, that's always a hard question to answer. There's never any guarantee. But when it comes to things like when I see companies that aren't doing email and text marketing, that is like a no brainer, like get on that quick because you should be doing, you know, around 20% of your total online revenue, we'll call it uh, per year should be driven via that email and text process. Um, That's if you're kind of firing on all cylinders through all channels. So, you know, if you're not, then that percentage is going to be even higher, but ultimately it's big missed opportunity that's on the table um, and that's stuff that you can kind of extrapolate out for any individual uh, merchant that I may connect with. I'm like, oh, you know, this is the size of your customer list. This is how much your traffic is. And this is what some expectations may be. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there are so many companies that are out there where it's either um, I, I use this on another, uh, like another podcast that I did a few months ago talking about sort of the the um the the worn thin founder like the 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 jack of all trades doing everything everything related to digital marketing everything related to buying and product development you know that's that's common that i see there's also the worn thin um staff member that is concentrated specifically on e-commerce or digital but they're still, they're handling paid advertising or maybe they're doing a limited amount of paid advertising. They're handling social content. They're handling what, what it, whatever it is that they're doing on email marketing at the moment. They're handling uh, working with affiliates. Like they're, everybody's just spread too thin. Um, so there, there's, I'd say way more often than not situations where more help is needed. A th- another set of eyes are needed. Again, this is not a commercial for me. This is like, there's a lot of different really great service providers out there um, that can theoretically help merchants you know, get to that point. Um, but these are some of the questions that merchants should ask, even if they're going to do something internal to um, really assess what they're doing. Like, what are they doing with their email marketing? How effective has that email marketing been? How much of a percentage of revenue has that made uh, for them over the last 30 days, you know, year to date? Um what are they doing from an advertising perspective? What is their percentage of advertising spend relative to total revenue on the site? Uh, what's their return on ad spend for what, what ads they might be running already? Um, there, there's, there's always opportunities for sure to, to take things a step further. Right. It's interesting of, of all the conversations that I've been having recently. One of the, the common themes that I'm hearing is, you know, 
make sure you have the people in your organization or on your team that know what they're doing and know how to do this stuff, right? Um, rather than just try to figure it out yourself and and believe that it's just going to work out. Um, you know, so in in that light, Ben, for our listeners, where can they uh, learn more about the services you offer and, and try to get in touch with you? For sure. So if anybody ultimately is interested in touching base with me, uh, I try to be as open of a book as possible. You can reach out to me on my website at benzettler.com. My email is very simple. It's just ben, B-E-N, at benzettler, Z-E-T-T-L-E-R.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, at Ben Zettler. Um, and I, I would be happy to, to talk with anybody that might be interested in having me help them with what they're doing on e-com. Fantastic. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I really genuinely appreciate your time. Um, and hopefully we can have you on for, for future episodes and ask you some more awesome questions. Great. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, this has been awesome. And I'm uh, looking forward to listening to more with other episodes that you have. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ben. Have a great one. That's it for this episode of e-commerce with coffee powered by Amber Engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.